Okay. Thank you, Nadav, you've done. Um, yeah, it is actually really nice. You must come and try it. Speak to Matthew. Maybe you'll also have a chance, and then you can have some other water, living water. Um, okay, so yes, tonight I'll be talking about the inability to make decisions and how it impacts our life. Something that is really passionate. I've got a big passion for it, and I think we can all relate to it somehow. So I am a chartered accountant um, by profession, and so I do love facts and I love numbers. Um, so I'm going to start off with, with just two questions. So from the audience side, what do you guys think? How many decisions do we actually make per day as an adult? Thousands. One thousand, thousands, fifty, ten, six decisions a day. Quite a lot. Okay, so it probably depends on what you think of how you, how you see decisions, but this is like any type of decision. Like now I'm thinking where am I going to look, what I'm going to do, am I going to touch the screen, this or that. But in actual fact, we make about, this is a study that they did, we make about 35,000 decisions each day as an adult. So that is almost 1,500 decisions per hour. So within the service, about 3,000 decisions. Um, it's not my numbers. I didn't calculate that. Um, but you can Google it, so yeah. <laughs> um, but it, what it actually means is this topic, or to think about decisions and think about your decisions and how you make decisions, it is a really relevant topic. It's not a topic that anyone can escape. It's not something that you can go by without knowing how to make decisions, without actually making decisions. Um, so it comes to my story. I just saw this meme and I thought it was really funny. Um, yeah, I've made some poor decisions in my life. Um, not necessarily that one, but other poor decisions. And, um, and so my, my story actually, uh, what I just want to share is uh, just the one, one part of it that I actually, that, that, that happened and the, where I actually learned that sometimes the, our inability to make decisions, it, it, it impacts our life so much that we, there are some things that we are destined to do or some things that actually, that is so much fun and it brings so much joy, but just by not getting out there and making that decision or taking an initiative, we miss out on so much. So my story starts um, while I was still young. It was, it was primary school, and I remember we had a, like, when, when I grew up, I always enjoyed sport. Sport was something that came naturally. I just, almost before I could walk, I was kicking a ball, and, um, yeah, my, my family is here. Uh, my fiance is also here. Um, and they can also they can also agree with that. Like sport came naturally. It's something that just I just always loved it. When there's a ball, I just want to play. Like it's very easy to distract me if you've got a ball somewhere. Don't don't yeah not now. <laughs> um, <coughs> so so but the other side of it was I wasn't really like something like dancing. That was just a, it was like a no no. Like my my heart would start pounding and it's like it was really it's scary. So I remember we had a. We had, to, we had to do a dance or something in a primary school, and, and I didn't like jeans and stuff like that. So I had to, I, I, I got a jean somewhere, but it was so big, like it was impossible to keep it up. And then we had to do this dance, and like there's a video, and I literally, I'm not, it looks like I'm doing some sort of dance like this, but I'm just trying to keep up my, my jean because <laughs> I was too small. Um, I think that maybe made me a little bit afraid of, of dancing in a, in a sense. And then as the years grew, uh, grew on or like as the years progressed in, in grade nine, you go to a dance and, 
Uh, maybe you just want to sock you or something, but like I always, I was like, no, I'm just too scared. This is fearful. Uh, something, maybe I'm going to step on the girl's toe. I'm going to let her fall or this or that. And, and so then I would say, no, 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 I'll, maybe next year, I'll try next year or I'll ask somebody else. But it never actually happened. It never realized. I, I was just a little bit too scared. But I knew it, it looked actually kind of fun. When I, when I looked at the people, they were enjoying themselves. But all I saw was, I, I just saw, whoa, these guys, they're much better than me. I, I can't do this. They're just on another league. But like you're progressing each year, you just almost fall behind. And to take the courage, a leap of faith, to actually just get out there and dance, it, it actually becomes more difficult because every single time you could have just had a good time. Nobody's actually looking. Nobody's actually caring. But for me, it was difficult. It was something that I had to overcome. So eventually... After all these years, and I think in my third year of varsity, I realized, like, nobody actually cares. Like, if I want to enjoy myself, and I can see it's fun, nobody actually cares. I can just go out and ask a girl and say, I'd like to dance. Can you maybe teach me? Or this or that. And then, (laughs) Rihanna's laughing now, but you don't necessarily have to do it there. You can ask. You can ask it maybe, and, and maybe, yeah, prepare or something or just one evening just ask somebody to show you a few moves maybe a guy or something like that and and then you know okay maybe i've got this one or two moves and at least i can just keep keep the beat um so that was that was my that was my story and i had to overcome that and then i realized after overcoming it um, i'm very fortunate now that after all those years i was able to ask danae now my fiance to a dance and it's actually very funny that the thing that was actually very scared for me it was the thing that actually connected us, and that's where we really got to know each other. Um, so, some, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so sometimes to overcome those fears, it can the upside of it, the other side is there's something really beautiful and wonderful. Um, but it made me realize, like, that is just one aspect of my life. But there are so many other aspects of my life where the same thing is happening. I don't have the ability to actually overcome that fear, that thing that keeps me away of making good decisions. So there is a quote that that actually says that indecision is a decision. It already tells a story. If you're indecisive, that is a decision that you're making. Um, And that is not a good place to be. So this was just to put it in, in perspective, this is what I learned that from dancing. Not making a decision, not taking action is already a guaranteed failure. Making a well-defined decision, actually taking action, can only lead to experience, learning from our mistakes, or you might just succeed. You might just succeed. And that's just something that I realized. And so they did a, they did a few studies on why do we sometimes, why aren't we able to make these decisions? Um, so two things came up. They did a study. The one study was on pension funds in, a, in, in the U.S., and, and they realized that <coughs> when the employees, when they want to um, give all these different options of, of pension funds that you can invest in as an employer, um, what, what they did, what they realized is for every 10 additional options that they provided for these employees, they were so overwhelmed by these big numbers and all these options that they ended up not even choosing e- any fund. And pretty much just to convert it to rands, it ended up them losing out on 60,000 rand a year. So for every 10 additional funds, 2% of the employees didn't actually participate. So if you had 60 funds, 
compared to the 10, the, the guys with the 60 fund, 10% of the employees didn't put, or 10% less of the employees participated in, in this additional 60,000 rand that they could just get, in a sense. It's, it's how our brains are actually made. We, we, when we see all these different choices and these different options, we almost go into overdraft, and we're so afraid of making a mistake that we're not even making a decision, or we're making a decision to not make a decision. The second one they did on jam in a grocery store, and <clears throat> what they did is they had one booth with only six types of varieties and another booth with 24 different types of varieties, but different, different stores, and they obviously for it to be a case study, it was, it was all the other things stayed constant. And what they found is the amount of sales that were made with only six varieties was six times more than the amount when they had 24 options. That definitely also supports the first thing, that in a sense, less is more. And when we've got less choice, we can actually make better decisions. That leads to the paradox of choice. So we sometimes think we know that more freedom means more choices. When, when we are free, we can decide what we want to do, what, where we want to go, all these different types of choices. But the irony is when we look at the other way around, when we think of more choices, having more choices, we end up actually not choosing anything, and it limits us. It actually doesn't give us freedom. It, 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 we almost always choose the comfort zone, the thing that we think this is, this is the thing that I know I can control in a sense. We're so afraid to step up. So while you also, um, this is actually a quite, just a funny meme. It just says, everything was better when everything was worse. It refers to the past. And it is something that's quite funny um, because life almost, it was simpler. Without all these different types of options, life was simpler. We didn't have as many options. It wasn't as overwhelming. The depression, everything, not a lot of people actually had, or not as much people had depression or all these anxiety, all these things that come with all these options and these decisions that we have to make. Um, sometimes to be able to limit our options, it, it helps us to also deal with all these other things. Um, so, like you can also relate to, when I spoke about my fear that I had to overcome, it was actually, it was a fear. It was a fear of stepping out there and asking a girl to just dance, or just to be able to learn how to soccer or something. It was something actually very small. But, Fear for us is something that we actually have to overcome. So Tim Ferriss, he's a, he's, a public, he's a public speaker and he wrote a few books, but one of the books is a four-hour work week. I don't know, maybe some of you guys know, know about him or know him. Um, but he came up with this thing. He said, instead of setting your goals, you must actually set your fears. And to be able to, to, to see the worst-case scenarios, to be able to like quantify and to write down your worst-case scenarios, it is much easier to make decisions to take that leap of faith because you can actually see that your worst-case scenario of just taking the initiative of making a decision is actually not that bad. It can be overcome by these different examples. So in the light of we're doing or in the World Cup, Soccer World Cup, I think Matthew also mentioned, I also support France. So I was also very happy with the result. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm going to use that as an example just to take you guys through this fear setting. So we all know that in, 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 a, in a World Cup in a soccer, the, probably the, the, the thing that's like the scariest but also the most exciting is in a final if it in, ends up in a penalty shootout. So after they, they didn't score, it was, the score was equal. After overtime, they went into a penalty shootout. Now 
the whole country, everybody, the whole world is watching this one person stepping up and taking this penalty and trying to beat the keeper. He's trying to reach or get the goal. Um, but there are a lot of things that goes, in his, that goes on in his mind. And it is really difficult. I also play soccer, and it's one thing uh, my brother can also support it, but it's actually really scary to take a penalty. Some people, naturally, they're better at it, but it is quite scary. So if we define what, what are the worst things that could happen, the worst thing that can happen is you can, miss, you can mess it up. You miss the goal, and your team actually loses the World Cup. And on the headlines of the newspaper, it reads, Francois misses penalty, and France loses the World Cup. Or something like that. Like, worst case, it is actually quite bad. It can be quite bad. It's overwhelming. But then again, the two best players in the world, they're not even in the final. At least, at least we still came second. We actually did really well. And the two best players in the world, they, they're not even in the quarterfinals. So at least France have made the finals. Yes, <laughs> France made the finals. Um, how, <coughs> how, how do I prevent it? Maybe I can actually practice. I can practice to kick a lot of free, uh, a lot of penalties, and I can get my spot and know this is where I want to place the ball. This is why everything you can, the things that you can control, try and control it. Try and at least prepare to control the things that is in your control. Second thing, I, the 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 next thing that you can actually look at is repair. So it has already done. I've missed the penalty. What happens next? Maybe I've got a teammate that can still come up. I can still try and um, encourage him to take a penalty or it's not necessarily all over but let's say we did lose the World Cup there's still another one in the next four years or you can take that experience that you learn from this whole Sega you can learn and you can apply it to where you're playing for your club what you're doing the next year maybe maybe that person maybe when I play in the World Cup I can have a TED talk on what, what actually happens after you miss a world, like a penalty in a World Cup something like that it might actually be beneficial. You'll have lots of views, I think, if you talk on that. Um, but there are things, lots of other people have also been in that situation, and they had to overcome it in a certain way. So, so yeah, the second part is actually make a list of the possible benefits that you can get from succeeding. So sometimes you look at the fear and it's like, this is the only thing that I can see, but what if you succeed? What if it actually works out the way you wanted it to work out? And then you can actually see that you can become a hero. You can become the hero of France if you take the last penalty and you succeed. Forever you'll be remembered as a hero, the guy who scored the penalty because he was brave enough to take the leap of faith and to score that penalty. The part three is the cost of your inaction, and that's actually really important. That's a thing that we don't necessarily consider when we make decisions. Is when we're not making a decision, there's a cost, there's an opportunity cost that we miss out on. And this is actually the part where... If the, for, for my example, what if I decided I'm, I'm a striker, I'm supposed to take penalties, but I'm not going to take a penalty. When we've got the group discussion in the team, I'm going to say, look, uh, guys, I'm not taking this penalty. It actually hinders me from the opportunity to be one of the guys in the team who took the initiative and who scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. Like, why, why would I, if I know I'm good enough and I've got the ability... Why do I neglect that opportunity to be remembered as a hero because I'm too scared of the failure? And in other areas in my life, that is exactly what happens. And that is, what, that is actually what happens. And so you can actually, it, what, what he says, you can just put, write down three lists, uh, six months, a one year, and a three years. 
just in different seasons also in, and how long it actually progresses, the amount of time that you're not making these decisions, it actually, there they might be different types of consequences or uh, opportunity costs that you miss out on. Um, so these are just some of the things that I realized that, I'm, that I missed some of the opportunities, let's say, for example, dancing, putting on my dancing shoes. And now, luckily, I'm fortunate to be able to enjoy myself on the dance floor. I'm not very good, but at least I enjoy myself. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end off with just a, a last piece. Um, this, is, this is something that I actually do agree on, and like, it resonates with me. It says, your life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Um, another one of uh, Tony Robbins, he's also speaking, he says, it's your decisions and not your conditions that determine your destiny. Some, some of us must just actually think about it, what it, that it, what it actually means. Um, but yeah, today I'd like, I put on this t-shirt, um, and this is actually a t-shirt in remembrance of, of one of our friends um, that passed away while he was driving, he was on his way to his fiance, um, and he was in church with us in Stellenbosch, and I, I went on a mission with him the previous year, and he actually lived his life in abundance. He started, he was about also mid-twenties, and he started his own church on his farm in Botswana. He literally he didn't, he didn't live a life where maybe in a few years' time, I'm going to start doing the things that God calls me to do. He actually lived his life full out. And we don't necessarily know the day, our last day on earth, but we, do have, but we actually do know our calling. We do know the things that God places us in certain position in certain places to take action and to take initiative um i always remember like when i wear the shirt and when and when i remember or when i talk about him to other people yeah his name his name was is, is Seberant Engelbrecht, and he just had this passion he had a passion for god he had a passion for people but he lived his life full out and yes like he was only 25 or let's say 25 the day he died but he had a full life and I'm not sure if a lot of people who die when they're 80 had that same full life that he had. So, yeah, I'm going to leave you with a question. And it's literally, what is the area in your life, the, the place where you're actually not making this uh, active decision to step into your calling? Thank you. While we're just waiting for the slides to start, um, I just want to say welcome to everyone again. This is round two. and uh, <coughs> This morning the light sh shone a bit on the, on the screen, so maybe just turn it a bit to the side there at the back. Anyway, so good morning, uh, good evening, sorry. Hello to everyone. It's an uh, honor to, to be with you tonight. So I'm going to gauge the audience. We've got a couple of students here. We've got a couple of working people and some married people as well. Great. Okay. This morning, the audience was mostly just uh, kids with, well, parents with kids. And, uh, yeah, so just a little bit more what I'm going to talk about. This is a, this is a, um, a road network in Los Angeles. And if you look at it, it's quite daunting. I mean, Rondebosch, su southern suburb traffic is chaos in the morning. It's not this bad, though. But... 
if, if you look at life, sometimes you feel this is how life is. There's so many options. There's so many roads. And I'm actually linking on to what Francois uh, spoke this morning as well. Like, there's just so many options. And where do I go to and what do I move? And I specifically want to present to you a novel way of making decisions easier in life. And if you're a Christian, in line with God. So, firstly, who am I? I'm, uh, this is my, my wife up there and um, our boy. And we... This is probably what my sister is going to remember now, but we like going to have beers just here across the road after church. I highly recommend it. Um, we also love the outdoors, and most of these moments are pictures or captures that captures that moment of aha, of like, I really enjoyed this moment. And, um, but except for that, I'm also a doctor, and I work as an orthopedic surgery registrar. So a registrar is a trainee specialist where you basically... You just work very hard, and, um, <laughs> and you, you're always the bottom of the food chain. But when you've passed all your exams, they say, welcome to the fraternity. And um, there are a couple of pictures here. So I started out in East London, for, started working there in two years, East London on the East Coast. And um, there's some operations we're doing, and I also work at these other hospitals here in Cape Town, at Grote and Red Cross, where all my teachers are. It's quite an honor to, to have those. And, I know some of the guys here are medical students, one or two of you, and um, if, if you haven't rotated with me, I'll, I'll, I'll get to know you a bit better. So when, I, when, this, when this talk started, I was given the opportunity to, to talk about something that you're passionate about. And the first thing that I thought, what am I passionate about is my work, yes, but also what specific thing? And I thought the total hip replacement. So a total hip replacement... <coughs> is voted as the operation of the century. So every 100 years, all the big brains of the world get together and they decide on what is the best operation that, that's got the highest impact factor for that 100 years for the century. And the hip replacement was voted the operation of the century, above cesarean sections, above all the other routine operations that, that happen on a, on a regular basis. And this is the article that published it. So if you, if you don't know anything about hip replacements, let me quickly show you as well. So on, on the screen there, you'll see an x-ray, and you'll see the one hoop looks abnormal. What we basically do is we put a piece of metal and some ceramic head and plastic inside, and you get a new hip, and you're fully functional and able to walk around. Sometimes we put in a screw as well. Some people ask me this morning, why do you have a screw in? So I would have also talked about and said how this highly engineered two pieces of titanium and piece of ultra-highly linked plastic plastic polymer is changing the world and changing the, the way people think and live and what an impact it's making on society and the benefit for people. I also would have told you that um, we use quite advanced technology nowadays to, to plan this and it's not just an art form but it's also a scientific process. We take an x-ray, we, we template it and we use technology like um, you see there on the, on the screen and we, can, we, can, we, we got to a place where we can quite accurately replace the abnormal hip. And um, where, I work, where I used to work anyway, in the Trans Sky and, well, in the Eastern Cape, the, what, what changed me, um, the way I think about the hip replacement, is seeing how our grannies, who are basically looking after orphaned, orphaned grandchildren, how their worlds are being changed by being able to walk around and run around and actually look after their, their, grand, their grandchildren. So the real pillars of the Eastern Cape community. And I'm, I'm in such a privileged 
environment to see those one and two year follow-up patients after the operation where they come into and they can't walk and they just walk out and they say, oh, thank you, thank you. And, and that's one of the reasons I feel so passionate about the, the total hip replacement, like I said, the operation of the century. But the question, question is, how did I get to the point that I feel so passionate about one specific thing in a world of so many things? When I was a student, before student, I was, a, I was just a, a scholar at school. How did I get to that point from being like a school kid to being quite passionate about one specific thing? And that's what I want to present to you. At, at university, I was mostly feeling like, oh, yes, I'm just like working myself to death and all my friends are cycling and having a life. And I think I probably feel, feel the same with the boys' weekend that some of the, some of the guys had um, from church this weekend. I was just like sitting and grafting and all of them are chilling. But the, the, the question is, like not, not maybe question, the challenge is I don't really particularly want to be in that spot in a few years, but more into a balanced way of living. And it, it comes down to just capturing all these moments and the, the things that you experience on a daily basis, what, what captures you, the, the aha, the revelation, the epiphany moments that you, that you experience on a daily basis. And the way I... I see it, and if you're a Christian here tonight, then you know the Bible, obviously. If you're not a Christian, just go and speak to someone that you don't know, or I mean that you know here that is a Christian. You're probably not going to know them anyway. But um, here Elijah talks about, um, or is is in in an environment where there's a fire, there's an earthquake, and there's a loud noise coming to him. But God's voice is not in one of those and one of those um, sounds, the, the God's voice is in the, in the still small voice, the, the gentle whisper. And in my personal life, I've experienced it almost every time that when I have a moment where God guides me to doing something, it's not a loud voice that comes out of heaven, but the, the, the still gentle whisper that you hear on a daily basis. <coughs> I've got a bit of flu, sorry. So there are two things that I do. And this is the novel technique, the novel way that I want to present to you is the first thing is the list, and the second thing is mentors or mentorship. So what is this list that I'm talking about? Francis spoke about other lists. Um, this list is if you do something, all of us have moments we, where we do something and we think like, I could actually do this forever, this moment that I'm doing now. This is quite a personal list, but you can read some stuff there. Some of it is like quite technical jargon. And um, so when I did my thesis, I went on a field trip and did some lab work right at the bottom. So I really enjoyed that. I wrote it down on my list, and this, is, this list has been running over the past few years. But whenever I get to a moment when I do something, and I actually enjoy it, I jot it down, and I keep on doing it. So the next time I'm faced an opportunity or given opportunities, I have to make a decision. I just can't do everything. None of us can do everything all, all the opportunities you're given. Just go back to my list, sync, um, sync what, I'm, what I'm thinking, think what I'm experiencing and saying, yeah, okay, I'm actually experienced this as a godly moment. It was where what I, what I am called to do is lining up with what the environment needs and, and that's, that's the calling for that moment. And something, something on here that I quite interestingly um, saw earlier, my wife reminded me, I enjoy doing presentations. 
So when I was giving, given the opportunity to talk here, I didn't think twice. I just said yes, because it lines up with, with what I'm doing. So I, I actually want to encourage you to, to do this listing. It's been, it's been helping me quite a lot in just making simple decisions. And if, if I would count on my, you know, I'll probably have like one or two moments where I felt there's a voice almost out of heaven or from, from the front and from sermons coming towards me and saying, Sean, this is what you need to do. But this little small voice, the, the whispering that I hear on a regular basis, that was guiding me on, on to where I am and thinking to, to what um, I need to go to. So most of the time, the decisions are not these 90-degree changes in life. It's not like dramatic change. And, uh, there is pl- probably a place for that as well, but most of the time, it's not like that. Most of the time, it's a gentle whisper, a, de- a gentle stir, a gentle push into a specific direction. And that will guide you as you go on. Like I said, the last thing I want to be in is, is that I'm in a place where I feel this is where I'm working now, but this is not maybe what I should be doing. And because work is probably 80% of our ministry and of our life, I mean, it's quite a big significant factor that, that you will have an impact in. The second thing is mentors. These two, these two professors are, are both professors of mine and, and mentors. And we, we meet on a monthly basis. So if they're Christian, if they're non-Christian, that's not really relevant. But they're both specialists and specific, very good in the field. The, the one actually wrote the article of and was at that 100-year 100, 100 meeting. And I'm very honored to, to, to even know people like that. But what, what, what we do is we meet up once a month on we go to Calvin Grovia, and we just chat about life. We have coffee, and I say, your prof, I don't know, like, I'm just not coping with this, or yeah, this, is, this is so difficult, I actually don't know what to do. And we, we reel to each other. And he's like, yeah, I know, when I was that age, and we know I've got all the experience in life. And I really want to encourage you as well to get people like that in your life. Like, again, if, if you're a Christian, pray about it, and ask God to show and guide people. The way I met these people are, by total randomness. It's not even planned or, or formal. Formal. So just in, in a summary, I want to encourage you to listen to the gentle whisper. Listen to when it's, it's, it's really not a loud voice. When you experience that moment where you're doing something and you know that this what you're doing is really so much fun, go and jot it down, write in your little book or in your list or in your Google Keep or in your calendar or in whatever form of medium you use to keep lists, and then find some mentors. Mentor, mentorship is a great way of progressing, and not just progressing in your career, but progressing in life. And yes, yeah, so I want to leave you with, I want to leave you with a challenge, not a question. I want to leave you with a challenge and say, go and make this list when you have some time, time during this week. Go and sit down and ask, or just ask yourself, ask the people you know. I actually went to my wife and I said. Um, are there any more things that I, I don't have on you? And she's like, oh, this and that and that. If you're not married, just go and ask someone that you know, an honest friend, and um, jot those things down. And the next moment you're in, where you're in a decision, just go and look at your list and, and make, make the decision based on that. Good.